Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Welcome, welcome. And coming up, August 11, we'll be going to two services. Okay, so you do know. Okay, okay, so it works. September 11, we'll be going to two services, 9 and 11. And some people have paid a little bit of attention. I love it. Now you're going to be wondering, like, that was so good. Did he do that on purpose, or is he just that bad? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not telling you. I don't know. But hey, welcome. We're really glad you're here. You picked a great week to be here. We're in a series called Upside Down. And, and really, when we look at American Christianity, it's, it's just this thing where you kind of wonder. You're like, maybe they are, maybe they're not. I mean, they're American. Are they Christians? I don't know. I mean, we're in Hudsonville, maybe, in Allendale. Yeah, maybe they are, maybe they're not. But what Christianity is meant to be is a little bit different. It says this in Acts 17. It talks about some, some believers that show up to the city of Thessalonica, and it says, this is what they said about them. Those that have turned the world upside down have now come here. The Christianity is meant to turn our world upside down. It's to shift everything. The world, like, like if, you, if, you, if you're saying the world goes upside down, what, what's left? Like, not, everything gets shifted. It's, it's all of it. And upside down is just like, it's the max. It's everything is completely undone. I don't know if you've ever taken a corner too fast after you go to the grocery store and you hear the bags tip over just onto their side and you're like, it's over. Everything is all over the car. I'm going to be finding oranges for weeks and who knows where. That's just on its upside down. It's meant to shift everything. So we looked and we said, week one, we really looked at, at fear. We said the theme in the Bible that we see over and over that's echoed throughout it, we read it in Luke 12, is do not fear. That we're not to make decisions from a place of fear. That when we make decisions from a place of fear, we end up with compromise. But we're to have faith and God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Then we looked, and week two, we looked at what it is to be the greatest. Because Jesus is talking to his disciples. His disciples are following him. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and they're like, yeah, we, we, we track. This is great. We're excited. Like, let's be a part of this. Let's do this. In fact, two of the disciples, you're not going to believe this, because you'd think, you'd think I was talking about some millennials, but I'm not. But two of Jesus' disciples actually got their mom to ask Jesus if one could sit on his left and right in his kingdom. It's in your Bible. Read it. Two of the disciples got their mom to come ask Jesus, and you're like, really? Wow. But they thought the kingdom was now, and so this is what they were going after, and they were after a position, and Jesus said to this, this to them, Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. They've got positions, so they use them. They're like, well, I'm this, so you have to do this for me. Verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. He's like, we're not chasing after positions. He says, you want to know who's the highest? It's the one that's the servant of all. 
That's really where we, where we ended last week. But something that, something that I was not able to hit last week that I want to pick up right where we left off, we're meant to serve, and serving is going to cost us. It's inconvenient. That's what serving is every time. The mark of a believer is to be that we serve. That, we, that, that is what we do. We look for places and we look for people to serve over and over. Jesus said, and how will they know that you're my disciples? He said, they will know because of your love. That that's to be our motivation, but that we are to serve. But the thing is that when, when I talk about serving, most of us automatically think outside. And not outside, outside. But we think outside of our homes. And that's true. But where it's meant to start is in our homes. It's meant to start at home. That's where it is supposed to be. How many of you have ever had a conversation and you're talking with somebody, maybe it was a little bit heated, maybe it was mom or dad, or maybe there was an argument, maybe it was at work about something, and then all of a sudden, the person you were talking to got a phone call. And the, their voice went from to, hello, how can I help you? Phone voice in an instant. Anybody raise your hand if you've ever seen somebody turn their phone voice on? And the rest of you, you're the ones that do it. You're the one. You are, this message is for you now. Years ago, I went over to a friend's house. And um, we, we went over, I was, like, I was maybe 17, 18 years old, and went over to his house. And we get there, and his, his parents weren't there yet. His brother was. And so we're running around. We're, we're getting stuff ready. A whole bunch of people were coming over in a little bit. And his dad shows up. His dad... I hadn't really met his dad before. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of seen him out in public a few different times and stuff, but this is the first time I was at his, at his house. And his dad comes in, and his dad's like, John, what are you doing? What is this? And I walk in the driveway, and this isn't right. And he's, he's kind of just this gruffy guy to begin with. But he comes in, and then his brother's there, and then he's, he's, just, he's just, and he's not mad. This is just, and I figured this out later, but this is how he is, and this is how he just talks to his boys. And it, and it was crazy because I can remember I'm sitting there and I'm watching his kid's countenance just kind of like, you're doing this in front of our friends? As, as he's talking to him. He's just kind of this gruff guy and John looks over at me and he goes, that's just my dad. And then these two little dogs come running through the house and they run right over to dad. And the same gruff, uh, what's going on guy, suddenly goes, oh, hey, baby, what you be, baby? And like starts baby talking. And like, I'm, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I look over, and John and his brother, they both just look over at me, and they're like, those are his, those are his real kids. And, and I remember it, like, I, even as I'm telling the story, I can picture it, I know right where I was in their room, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. But we are meant to start at home. I mean, even if, it, it, it makes sense if you see somebody in your house getting ready, getting dolled up, looking nice, what are you assuming? You're assuming they're going out. Because as a whole, we the society kind of brings their best, puts on their best, put their best foot forward away from the home. Not at home. 
But when we think of serving, the place that we do it is we start at home. 1 John 4.20 says this, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The theme that you're going to see here is we start at home. 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for his own household, has been denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. He says, yes, take care of your family. Maybe you have relatives that need something, but here's where you need to do. You need to make sure you're taking care of in your first priority, the first place that you lead, the first place that gets those resources is, what does it say? It says, especially your own household. That's where we are to start. 1 Timothy 3, 4, in talking about an elder, a leader in the, the church, it says this, that he must manage his own family well, having children who respect him. For a man cannot manage, if a man cannot manage his own family or his own household, how can he take care of the church? It is to start at home. Not, well, I'm going to go serve and I'm going to be great here and then I'm going to come home and just, Bleh. I'm home and now I'm just done. No, it starts at home. That's where we are to give our best. If it's roommates, we start with roommates. If it's brothers and sisters, we start by serving and giving our best to our brothers and our sisters. If, it's, if we're married and it's spouses, then we serve and we give our best to our brothers and sisters. Remember years ago, I was out for a run and I'd, I had um, missed a conference and so I was listening to some recordings of this conference. And, and I was out running, and I'm on my way back, and all of a sudden, the guy, the guy says this. He says, I just want to mention, he says, if you have a, if you're a businessman, and he goes, if you're a businessman, if you're a businesswoman, and you have a plan for your business, but you do not have a plan, a written plan for your home, you've got things backwards. And I was running, and I stopped. And I was like, I'm a youth pastor, and I've got goals written down. Like, okay, we want to we wanna grow the youth group here, and we want this many kids in groups, and this is many, how many kids we're, we're praying for for salvations. We've got these trips planned, and they're strategic, and we're, we're recruiting people. We didn't just take them on trips, but we recruited people to go on the trips and counselors that we wanted them to build relationships with because that was going to be a platform for them to speak into these kids' lives later and many years later. And we were, I was all strategic about it, and I prayed about it, and how are we going to do this? And we had strategy meetings around it. And all this went through my mind, and I'm like what do I have from, like, Becca and I? And I went in, and I'm like, babe, we need a plan. And she's like, what? And she's like, oh, you listened to, because she had been at the conference, and I'd missed it anyways. And so she's like, oh, you listened to that part? I'm like, yes, I did. And so we sat down, and we came up, and we're like, okay, here's some goals that we have. Here's some five-year goals. Here's some 10-year goals. Here's, here's why God brought us together and what we want to do I'm like, Here, here's what we're going to do. I'm like, we're going to build the kingdom of God. That's number one. You want to know why we're together and what we do, what our purpose is? We're going to build the kingdom of God, whether we were, we were on staff at a church at the time. So, so we just said, we said, whether we're on staff or not, and I said, and our marriage is going to be a light, and I'm going to serve you the best I can. And we're going to show people how God intended marriage to be by doing the best that we can at doing it God's way. And so we just kind of wrote some of these things down 
But if you're a business person and you're putting your best into business and not at home, you've got it backwards. Do you have a written plan and five-year plan and I'm going to do this and you've got strategies around what you're going to do at work and how you're going to do it and how you're going to build the business, but you don't for your home? We as believers are to give our best at home. That is a biblical principle. He says they can't even lead in the church if they're not leading their home well. And that doesn't mean perfect. Or I wouldn't be here or anybody, period. But it means we do it God's way. And we give our very best at home. However that looks like for you, give your best at home. Give it to your spouse, your brothers, your sisters, your roommates, whoever it is, what you have, what your home is, that is where you are to give your best. Just think about it with me. What is our testimony and what are our kids, roommates, whoever they are seeing when at home, we're one way, but then we leave to go serve and we're completely different. We can put on a mask. What, what are we telling them? What are we teaching them? And, and who is it that knows how to push our buttons the most? Family. I mean, come on. They're like, I know where that sore spot is. And they just hone right in on it. It's family. And here's the thing. If we can serve family, if you can serve family, you can serve anywhere and anyone. That's where it's the hardest. That's where it is the hardest, and that's where we want to give our very, very best. That we're not putting on a front. We don't get around other people, and all of a sudden, okay, well, now I'm nice, and now I'm sweet, and now I'm... No, we serve because that's what we do, because we're servants. Um, growing up, my dad was a pastor for as long as I can remember. Um, we were missionaries when I was really, really young. Um, but by the time I was about three and a half, my dad was pastoring a church. And so um, I had some people ask over the years, like, what's it like being a pastor's kid? And I'm like, I don't know. It's all I know. And I'm like, that's it. Like, I think it's like everything else and everybody else because that's, that's, that's all I know. Remember I went to, um, went to college and I was, in, I was in Bible college. And I got to be around some other pastor's kids and hear some of their stories. And they're talking about their churches and their parents and, and, and kind of the difference between Sunday and the rest of the week. We'll just say that. And I was like, we didn't have that. I'm like, my dad was just as boring on stage as he is off. Like, that's just, <laughs> that's just him. He grew, I'm so serious. He grew up and he's just, just like, this is what he did. He woke up every morning and worked out. I know my room was in the basement. He's down there clanking weights at like 6 o'clock every morning, and he's already run five miles every morning. 8 o'clock, if I'm not out of bed, he's get out of bed, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folded of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. And I'm like, Dad, <laughs> seriously? Scarcity like an armed man. He just wants to run. I'm like, Dad, you wake up. You go to bed so early. I'm still awake. I'm like, I think I spend more time awake in a 24-hour period than you. And he's like, but you're getting up in the morning in my house. Like, he was just boring, and then he would go to church, and then he would come home, and he would read books. I never heard, I heard him listen to one song our, my, my entire life, one, one song. And it was a band that we had coming to the church. It was a cassette. He put it in, and he's like, yep, they're coming. Other than that, he just listened to teaching. That was it. It was cassettes when they were cassettes. When it was CDs, he made me burn multiple CDs onto CDs 
so that he could have CDs and then he would lose them and then I have to reburn them back on because they would get scratched because he didn't take care of them. And then he got a card that had a USB and I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I could put them all on the USBs and he had no idea, but he's like, I can't start a computer. He doesn't know how to use a computer. No lie. One time, one, uh, a lady came up to my mom in church and was like, God told me your husband's having an online affair. And my mom laughed at her. <laughs> He's like, he doesn't even know how to turn it on, sweetie. And she just walked off. I'm like, you ever see him use a mouse? He's got both hands shooting over here from the screen, shooting over there. He's like, help me with this. Help me with this. I can't find my hunting spot, you know? He's just boring. It was just, just that's what it is. And what did he do? He studied, he did family, and he did church. That's it. Day in and day out. But I got to Bible college, and I got to listen and to hear some of these other pastor's kids, and I was like, that wasn't my experience. My dad was the same. My mom was the same. The little scriptures that she sends, she sends them. She sends them to me all the time, and sometimes they're not small. Sometimes it's pages. I'm like, Mom, nobody reads this much in the morning. What are you doing? Please don't send that to me. She's like, didn't you read it? I thought it'd be encouraging, and I put your name in the whole thing. I took these things out, and I put your name in, and I did that for all the kids. And I'm like, we didn't even notice. <laughs> I'm like, we didn't. I'm like, I know the verse because you sent it to me like once a year for 20 years but I didn't read it again. And she's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just keep doing it. But that's, that's, just, that's just her. She doesn't know what to do. She reads scripture. And I grew up and, and I remember there'd be times that people would call and they'd have her number and they'd have issues and she would just be like, I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say. I've already given all the advice I can. So she would just open the Bible and start reading until they hung up. <laughs> she would just read. And she's like, well, I don't know what to do, so we're just, the answer's in the Word somewhere, so we'll just read together. And she'd sit on the phone, and she would just read, and she would just read them the Bible. And we're like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just reading. You guys can get it too. Come on in. So sometimes we'd sit around, and she'd be reading, and if we could, we'd sneak off. They were the same at home. There's no difference. It was the same. We didn't do things because we were pastors. My dad's like, we do this because we're Christians, and this is what Christians do. We didn't do things because we're Vanderclocks. They're like, we're Christians, and this is how Christians are meant to act. Our best is meant to be at home. Now I look at my parents, and I think, holy cow, how did you do that? Part of it, I think, helped is they knew Spanish and a lot of us didn't. So every time things got heated between them, they started speaking a different language. And I was like, that's really good. Now I'm like, I really wish I knew that. But anyways. <laughs> but I look now and I'm like, what a gift. And what a testimony that they're like, we're the same. This is how we do it. We serve. We're the same. We're the same. We serve. We don't serve. It wasn't any different at home than it was anywhere else. And I strive, I hope I'm doing that with my kids. They'll know, they'll be the, <laughs> the test on that, the finish line on that, that hasn't come yet, we'll see. They'll say years later, you know, he tried or they got better, and I hope that's what they say, is that it got better and better. Amen. But the place that we're meant to serve, the place that you're meant to give your best, 
is at home. So whatever that looks like, it's at home. When you're getting done up, when you're getting ready to look good, maybe because you're home and you just wanted to, not because you're going out. Give your best at home. Work does not support home. Home supports work. Something that I, I loved in, 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 that was really spoke to me because it was my life was growing up, and I hung out at church a lot. <laughs> Ta-da! Surprise. My dad was there. I was there. We were there a lot. And I remember I was talking with um, our youth pastor one time. His name was Pastor Scott. And, man, quick note on that. He made some mistakes. And some of you know the story about what happened and some of the mistakes that he made. But he did a whole lot of things right. And you and I, we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to get things right. Our parents didn't get some things right. You as parents aren't going to get everything right. But getting something wrong doesn't cancel out everything else that was right. Remember that and don't give up. Don't think, well, I made this mistake and, doesn't, and now it's done and my, my, my ability to minister to my family and, and, and to really put them first, it's over because you don't know what happened in that incident and that blow up and that divide and that whole thing. It's over. No, it's not. It's not over. You get right back up where you are and the Bible says God works all things for the good of those that love and serve him. And that means right where you are, you love and you serve God in whatever circumstances you find yourself in today. Not yesterday, you can't change it. If you could and you should, then that would have been great, but you can't. So today you say, God, I give you everything, I'm going to do it from here. You're not done. But one of the things Scott told me that I so remember growing up was this. He says, I'm unique. He says, I work at church. And he says, if... If anybody else, they grow up and they're bad-talking their job, where they work, they come home, they're exhausted. He says, their kids, they might grow up thinking one way or thinking bad about that, that work, that workplace, that industry, whatever it is. He said, but I work at a church. He says, if I go home and I unload, he said... What are they going to think about the church? He's like, there's a right and a wrong place to unload things. And let me just say this. That applies to church, but I think it applies to absolutely everything. That when we go home and we unload the troubles of our day on our families and spouses, what does it say about where we're going? Are we giving them unnecessary things to carry that they don't even need to carry? That it doesn't make a difference? And there's a difference between communicating and connecting and just dumping. Just dumping. And what does it say to our kids? What are they listening to? The little ears that are around because they hear it all. You're like, they're too young. Oh, they are not. If you've ever worked in kids' ministry, the t stories that your kids tell is hilarious. I mean, that was one of my favorite things about working in nursery is like, get me around some three and four-year-olds because they get in there and they just like, guess what daddy called mommy? And you're like, oh, no, please don't say that. <laughs> Whoops. They, they hear. 
So we talked so much last week about service, but let me just encourage you with this. We are to be servants. We're believers. That's what we do. It's who we are. But the place that we start it is at home. Don't give your best somewhere else. Give your best to your husband. Give it to your spouse. Give it to your roommates. If you're home, wherever that is, that is where, and again, the reason is this. That's where you give your best because if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. So start at home. That was the intro. You're welcome. Let's get going because in closing, <laughs> just about, just about. But one of the, the, ne the next thing that we're getting to, and really when I started upside down and I was like, okay, here's a couple of topics that, that are going to go really well with this. And, and honestly, I feel like it's a home project where you get started. We're like, well, that tile broke, so I should replace it. And I can't replace it with the same one because they don't make that anymore, which I think is pretty strategic. And I can't find that tile anymore, so I'm going to rip up that tile. But if I'm going to rip up that tile, then you know what else is going to happen is all the trim's going to come off. And if the trim's going to come off of that, well, we don't really like that trim. And then it has to come on. So do we want to do all of the trim? And like, well, if we're doing the trim, we're going to mess up the door anyways. And the door needed to get, you know, just one thing leads to another and another and another and another and another. And you're like, we're buying a new house. The tile broke. It's over. <laughs> That's about how this series has been for me as I'm planning it. I'm like, it all, it all just, it's all intertwined, every single bit of it. But the thing I want to move on to right now is money. Okay, you can take a breath. And let me just put a few of you at ease. We're not taking a special offering. Okay, we're, we're not. Some of you grew up and you're like, every time they mention money in my church, and then like, okay, here we go. We're passing the buckets three or four more times. No, no, we're not doing that. But what we want to do is we want to know what God's word has to say about everything. If we look at the Bible and the early believers, and it says the way that they lived and what they taught turned the whole world upside down, it was different. If, if God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, then we need to know what they are, and it's going to be different. It's going to turn some things upside down when we shift and we begin to do it his way. But when I talk about money in a, in a church setting, especially here, West Michigan, there's two, two main thoughts that kind of come to many people's minds. And number one is this. Money's evil. And, and the verse that comes to mind is something like Matthew 19, 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The mindset that goes with, with this is typically that the poor are virtuous by virtue of being poor. That they, that they are, they're, they're just virtuous and that Anybody who has something that I don't must have done something wrong or evil to get it. And that's, that, that, that's, that's kind of the one side. And, and their virtue is that they love to proclaim that I trust God for everything because I have nothing. And that's, that, that, that's one side over here. And then there's another side, and that's, that's the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, prosperity gospel. And they like the verse Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. And they're like, if you're not driving a Lexus, and I don't know why, but that's their brand. If you're not driving a Lexus, there's something wrong with you, and God's favor is not on you, and you should get it. And, and, and the way that you're going to get God's favor is probably by sending me a check. So here, here's my P.O. box. Like, they've got one. Like, this is, this is, this is their camp. And let me, let me just say this. For every one mile of road... 
there's two miles of ditch. And we want to stay out of both ditches. We want to stay out of them both. For the money is evil camp. Yes, Matthew 19, we already read it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, he says it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But let's keep reading. The disciples were astonished. Then who, can, who in the world can be saved, they said. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Money is and a lot of it can be a hindrance to receiving and trusting and believing and putting our trust in God, plain and simple. Absolutely. But God says it is possible. In fact, we look at the account of a certain rich man, and it's Luke 19. There's a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said this. He said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, he was a tax collector, he says, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. In Matthew 19, Jesus was addressing the fact that a rich man had come and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, go sell all you have and come with me. But the Bible says that the man went away sad because he had great possessions. And that's when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then a little bit later, a rich man comes to God and says, I'll give it all away. I'll give it half away, excuse me. And Jesus says this about him, salvation has come to this home today. One person, their money had them. Another person had money. Be the latter. Don't be the former. Don't, have, don't let money have you. Have money and use it to build the kingdom of God. We see this over in Scripture that money itself, it's, it's, not, e it's, it's not evil. In fact, Jesus' ministry was supported by a bunch of rich widows. A bunch of rich women supported Jesus. That would make headlines. But I mean, you think about it. Jesus is traveling around with his disciples from city to city to city to city. It costs money. Where did that money come from? Ever think about that? Even in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, when his disciples come to him and they say, it would cost more than a year's wages to feed all of, this, all of these people. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, we don't have the money to feed all these people. It's implied that they had the money to feed all of those people. But they were like, it's going to be a lot. There was enough money in the purse. Judas was the one that was watching over the money for the disciples. There was enough that he was able to steal from it without being caught. When you don't have money, you can't steal it. Like, you cannot steal it. I remember my dad came one time, and he's like, uh, he's, go, he's like, we're going shopping, we're going to go get some, some, I think it was some, some tree stands, as I recall. And I'm like, this is great. He's like, yeah, it absolutely is. He's like, 
the bank made an error. We didn't realize it. They were putting money in a different thing. So we have $15,000 we didn't know about. And I was like, <laughs> that would never happen to me. <laughs> like they took it and you didn't know that they took it and then they put it back. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, that would not happen to me. Like you can't take $15,000 without me knowing it. Like I'm going to know that. There's a difference between him and me. When you don't have money, you notice everything. You're like, wait a second. Wait a second. What's going on here? Jesus had enough. And this is what it says, Luke 8, 1. Soon after Jesus began a tour of, a, of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing God's news about the kingdom of God, the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him. He's got a caravan. This is going to cost some money. Along with some women who had been curd, cured. <laughs> My mind went somewhere else with that. I was like, what are they? They're evil. They're, anyways, they were cured of evil diseases and some spirits. Among them was Mary Magdalene, from whom... He had cast out seven demons, Jonah the wife of Chuez, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources and supporting Jesus and his disciples. Jesus wasn't like, it's evil that you have money. Abraham, the father of our faith, what does it say about him? In the Bible, it says that he was incredibly wealthy. So wealthy, in fact, that when he needed to, he gathered up an army, the Bible says in Genesis 14, 14, of 318 of his own fighting men from in his own household. He had a private army, 300 plus men strong to go out and fight. He was incredibly wealthy. Money itself is not evil. Prosperity camp, the idea that if you have money, it's God's blessing. Let me just say this. Money is not always a blessing. Money is not a blessing. I, I read a story this week of Jet Whittaker in 2002, Christmas 2002. He won $315 million. Merry Christmas, right? That, that, that's what we, absolutely, right? Well, the story goes, he gave away around some 50 million to just about anybody. It says he had a construction company that had never received a single complaint before. But after he won this money, complaint after complaint after complaint, complaint came in. He spent $3 million just fighting off the complaints, just in legal fees. He divided some of it up among his family. One of his granddaughters ended up hooked on drugs and disappeared and wound up dead. He was quoted as saying this. He says, you know, my wife had said she wished I had torn up the ticket. Well, I wish that I had torn up that ticket too. Money isn't always a blessing. It is a blessing to the wise. But it's not just a blessing. Proverbs 15, 6 says, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. The greatest problems in life, money can't touch, no matter how much you have. Can I just say this? If you think money's the answer, it will never be enough. When your basic needs are met, some food, some shelter, and some clothes, Life's good. After that, 
It's an internal switch that needs to get flipped to content. It's a switch that needs to get flipped. It's okay to strive and to want and to look and to be excited about the things that God's given us and to look and to dream. Please do. But money is meant to be a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people get eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Many griefs. Money can solve problems. There's some it can, absolutely, but the greatest, it doesn't even touch. It can't buy you a single day. Not a single more day, not a single hour. The greatest questions, it doesn't answer. What we see in the Bible over and over is it's okay to have money, but don't let money have you. And it's not an amount. There's not an amount. There's not an amount that's more righteous, more virtuous than any other. Take what you have and use it for the kingdom of God. That's what you and I are meant to do with everything, whatever it is. Whatever it is. And here's the thing. God looks at what we have, no matter what it is, and you want to know what he says? He goes, it's a little. God looks at what you have. He looks at what I have. He looks at what Bill Gates has. He looks at the Tesla guy, whatever he's got. He looks at all of it and he goes, it's a little. In fact, he says this, if you're not faithful in handling worldly wealth, who will give you true riches? Not only is it a little, but he's like, it's just a test. It's easy to put your trust in something that you're like, well, it'll pay my bill. And God's like, I could take care of that in ways that you can't even imagine. Have money. Don't let money have you. God's blessing does not indicate that you're going to have money coming out of your ears. No, it doesn't. I'd much rather have less with God's blessing than have a ton and not have it. Lack, not having a ton of money doesn't mean that God's mad at you. Having to struggle doesn't mean that God's mad at you. There's some principles that you might need to work on. But money is just a tool. That's all that it is. Think of it no more or no less or in any other way than it's just a tool that you and I get to use. We get to decide how we're going to use it. And when we use it to build his kingdom, he does say, watch. He who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. But if we're not faithful with what he's given us, why would he give us any more? Matthew 5, 45 says this. In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Biblical principles work because they're right. And there's some non-believers that they live out some biblical principles and they have been blessed as a result. 
He says, I send the sun on the, the righteous and the unrighteous. I think there's some people in here who've been mad because they haven't gotten what they think they deserve out of life. They think they've been cheated. That God's held some things from them. Pointed their anger in the wrong place. We'll just say that. Stuff happens. It's a fallen world. But here's what I know. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what he has for you and for me. And no matter where you are, don't worry about what you don't have. Take what you have and say, God, I want to use it. Don't let money have you how little or how much. doesn't matter. I've seen people obsess over a lot, and I've seen people obsess over a little. Choose to put your trust in God and use what he's given you to build the kingdom, to make a difference in this world. There's no greater joy. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive, than to use what you've been given, your gifts, your talents, your resources, your time, your relationship. Use and leverage them to build the kingdom of God. And watch the joy and peace that enters your life. No amount of money can ever give that. But I believe with all of my heart that God's word is true and that the plan that he has for you is good. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we're here this morning, I want to make sure that everyone here, that you know where you stand with God. You know that your sins are forgiven. And maybe you're like, man, I'd love to know. Well, God's word says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. You can know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wait and find out. But that Jesus came and he paid the price that we couldn't pay so that we could be free. He lived a sinless life and yet died on a cross for you and me. And all we have to do is accept it. It says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be free. You can be free from your past, free from your shame and guilt. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're on your way to heaven and begin to walk out the plan and purpose that God has for you. If that's you this morning, or maybe you're here and you say, no, today is my day just to come back. I've been doing my own thing, but today I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give God all that I have. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm giving it all to him. I'm declaring that today. If you're either of those, I'd love the honor of praying with you right in your seat. If that's you at the count of three, I want you to lift your hand high. Not halfway, shoot it up. That's you. Get ready. One, two, three. Shoot up all the way right now. Say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Say, God, I want to be yours. I'm going to leave here knowing where I stand with you. I'm going all in. Awesome. Hands down. Let's just pray this prayer out loud with those that lifted their hands. And as those that lifted their hands, as you say these words, make them your own. Say them from your heart. And let's pray together now. Say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. I believe you died, that you suffered in my place. You shed your blood so I could be free. Today, right now, I give my life, my energy, my resources, my all to you. From this day forward, I'm yours. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.